What is going on, true crime fans? I'm your host, Heath. And I'm your other host, Daphne. And you're listening to Going West. Today, we want to say thank you so much to the following people who left us some awesome reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much to Kaylin from Oklahoma and Michelle from Indiana. And then we have Courtney from Kansas and Ashley from Buffalo, New York. Big thanks to Jessica from Apex, North Carolina and Bigory from Chicago. Thank you to Jamie from Mill Creek, Washington and Kurt from Mustang, Oklahoma. And last but not least, thank you so much to Meg from Buffalo, New York and Krista from Lawrence, Kansas. And of course, we have to give a shout out to our newest patron, Mary Kate. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much. If you guys want to help support the show, check out patreon.com slash goingwestpodcast. We come out with a bonus episode every month and special content. So make sure to check that out. Like I said, it really helps out the show. And we also donate 10% of the proceeds to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. So not only do you get to help out our show, but you're also doing a really great thing. All right, guys, this is episode 33 of Going West. So let's get into it. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. We've got a very different kind of sponsor for this episode, The Jordan Harbinger Show, a podcast you should definitely check out since you're a fan of high-quality, fascinating podcasts hosted by interesting people. The Jordan Harbinger Show covers such a wide range of topics through weekly interviews with heavy-hitting guests. And there are a ton of episodes that you're going to find interesting. Jordan is super charismatic and well-voiced, so I loved listening to his recent episode with Susan Casey called Unraveling Mysteries in the Ocean's Darkest Depths. It was so creepy and interesting, and he goes across every category with other episodes like Romance Twister, My Mister Once Dated My Sister, or his monthly Skeptical Sunday episodes about controversial topics from crystal healing to cannabis to Ouija boards. There is something for everyone. We really enjoy this show, and we think you will as well. There's just so much here. Check out jordanharbinger.com start. For some episode recommendations. Or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Nine one one. Someone has just shot our neighbor. Who's been shot? Uh, Trisha and Kit. Who shot them? Uh, we don't know. Someone in the mask. What kind of injuries do they have? I, I don't know. They've just been shot. Hang on just a second. We've got them calling on another line. Sherman 911, station emergency. I've been shot. Who's been shot? Uh, it's my mom and my dad and my brother. Hold on one second, sir. Engine 1, all we have one subject right now. Apparently the whole family's been shot. Stand by. Is this Trisha or Kent? This is Bart, the son. Okay, Bart, where, where is your wound? In the arm, my shoulder. 
I think I carry my arm. Okay, who else has been shot in the house with you? Oh, I can't see. Who else was in the house with you? We were walking in the house. My brother and my mom and my dad. Oh, God, I can't. I, I need you to hang on, Bart. I've got help on the way, okay? Do you know who shot you? No. Okay, your neighbors were telling me that he had a mask on. Is that true? No. I think it's dark in here. Okay, do you think he was burglarizing your home, or are you guys having problems with somebody? Oh, God, I don't know. How many? How many shots did he fire, Bart? I don't know. Can you tell me anything about him at all? Did he sound black, white, Hispanic, Middle Eastern? Very black. I don't know. I, I couldn't... Uh, okay, when he left, Bart, did he leave out your back door? Yeah, I chased him that way. He let you chase him out towards the back door? Yeah. Okay, Bart, where were you when he shot you? Uh, in the living room. Oh. Slow down, okay? They're, they're on the way. Where are you in the house right now? I'm in the living room. You're in the living room? What? Oh, someone's here. Okay, do you see the officers, Bart? Yeah. Okay, that's the officers coming in. I'm going to go ahead and disconnect with you, okay? Okay. Thank you. Thomas Bartlett Whitaker, known as Bart Whitaker, was born on December 31, 1979 in Houston, Texas, to parents Patricia and Kent. The family was pretty well off financially since Kent worked as a construction executive, while Patricia, who went by Trisha, worked as an elementary school teacher. They all practiced Christianity and were active members of the local church. Bart was the only child in the family until March 1984, when his younger brother Kevin was born. According to Bart, he and Kevin could not be more different, but they complimented each other in that way. They got along really well and were good friends growing up, but Bart was definitely the more mischievous one of the two, and he got in trouble throughout his teenage years for burglarizing various students. After these incidents, Bart was kicked out of school and then evaluated by a psychologist. His evaluation brought on some interesting information. The psychologist stated that Bart appeared to be experiencing the clinical symptoms of someone with a delusional disorder, also known as someone with psychosis. Despite this, Bart had done fairly well in school before he left, and people thought he had a great sense of humor and was fun as well as respectful. Bart's parents were very generous with him, and they were all incredibly close. Bart states that he and his family had a great relationship all throughout his life. He and his dad both had a passion for biking, and they enjoyed doing that together. His parents bought him luxury cars, took him and his brother on numerous family vacations, and paid for his tuition to attend Baylor University as well as Sam Houston State University. They even bought him a lakeside townhouse in Willis, Texas, which is just about 50 miles or 80 kilometers north of the family's home in Houston. At the age of 23 in 2003, Bart told his family that his college graduation was coming up. His father, Kent, said that Bart planned to go to graduate school afterwards with an interest in going into law enforcement. On December 10th, 2003, Bart told his family he finished his finals and wanted to go out. So his family planned a dinner, just the four of them, at a seafood restaurant called Papadou. At dinner, Bart's parents gifted him with a $4,000 Rolex watch, and for dessert, they got him his favorite, praline bread pudding with congratulations written in chocolate on the plate. They all took photos together smiling and laughing. When they finished eating, 
they all went back to the Whitaker's Georgian-style home in Sugarland, Texas. The restaurant was just about 10 minutes away from their home. When they arrived in the driveway, Bart hung back a moment because he supposedly left his cell phone in the car. His brother Kevin and his mother Trisha were the first to casually walk into the house. Suddenly, a masked gunman shot Kevin from inside the house as Kevin entered the foyer. He was shot in the chest at point-blank range. Trisha yelled, oh no, and then was shot in the chest too. Then, Kent got shot in his right shoulder and he fell to the floor outside of the house. So unlike his wife and youngest son, he was coherent and was understanding what was happening. He started yelling out to the family, asking them if they were okay, and Kevin was silent. Trisha let out some gurgling coughs because it's sadly all she could make out. Bart then ran into the house to chase the gunman as he started to flee, and that's when Bart was shot in the upper left arm. Bart then called 911 and explained that there was a masked man in their house and that he'd just been shot in the arm. The 911 operator asked him who shot him, and he said he didn't know. She then asked if he could tell her anything about the shooter, and if he sounded white, black, or Hispanic, and Bart quickly said that he sounded black. Right next door to the Whitakers was the Stanley family. They had moved to the neighborhood just six months prior to the shooting, and they had a great relationship with the Whitakers. The Stanley's two sons had gone off to college, so it was just Cliff and his wife Darlene in the home. Cliff described Trisha as a very, very sweet person. The four would often go out to lunch together or catch a movie as a double date. Since Bart lived in his townhouse in Willis, Texas, the Stanleys had never met him. But Cliff said that Trisha was very optimistic and excited about Bart and his future. Since it was December, their oldest son Brandon was home from college, and on the night of December 10th, Cliff and his wife were watching TV. Brandon told them that he heard yelling and shooting and asked if it came from the TV. Cliff said no because they were watching a family show. That's when they knew it came from outside. Cliff and Brandon headed outside and immediately looked towards his friend's home, the Whitakers. Cliff noticed that Kent was laying on the front porch, but he couldn't tell if he was dead or alive. Cliff yelled out to Kent, asking if he was okay, and Kent responded saying, I'm bleeding, Cliff. Help. Without thinking of whether or not the perpetrator was still around, Cliff ran to Kent's side. That's when Cliff noticed Trisha and Kevin, and he yelled at his son Brandon to get back into their home and call 911. Cliff then noticed that Kevin was moaning in agony alongside Trisha, and he yelled to his son again to get something to help him stop the bleeding so he could try to save this family. Unfortunately, Cliff couldn't do much for any of them, so he said a prayer. Within minutes, police were on the scene. So Sugarland, Texas is a very affluent area, and little crime is committed there. It's the kind of place where you know all of your neighbors. So when Detective Marshall Slot was getting home from church on December 10th, and he got a call about a quadruple shooting, he asked if it was a joke. That kind of thing just didn't happen there. When police arrived at the house, Kevin had already passed away from his injuries. Trisha was airlifted to the hospital and was dead on arrival. Kent and Bart were alive and also taken to the hospital where they were treated for their wounds. Initially, police believed it appeared to be a burglary gone wrong. That maybe the masked man was surprised when the family came home, so he fired. But as detectives searched throughout the house, the pieces just weren't adding up. 
First of all, the gun was left in the home, which is really strange, and a single black glove was found on the sidewalk outside of their home. The bedrooms looked a bit ransacked, but almost in a way that seemed planned. Like all the dresser drawers were opened all the way to the same distance, so it didn't necessarily look like someone was quickly rifling through them. Because burglars don't really take care when they're doing this kind of thing. They like pull out the drawers and throw everything out of them. But in this case, the rooms weren't tussled like that. It was then that Detective Slot thought the scene may have been staged. And by the way, when the Whitakers came home that night, the door was locked. So when they entered the house, they thought everything was normal. Like they didn't suspect someone was inside at all. So let's talk about the victims for a minute here. Kevin graduated from Fort Bend Baptist Academy in 2002, where he played baseball and ran track. He was also a part of the student council and was elected junior class president. Some of his favorite activities included fishing and being outdoors. After college, he began studying at Houston Community College before attending Texas A&M University, where he was planning to graduate as a member of the Corps of Cadets. He was 19 when he died. Trisha was born and raised in Houston, Texas, and she graduated the University of Houston with a Bachelor's of Arts degree in education. She then went on to be a kindergarten teacher, and she was known to be an incredibly sweet and compassionate woman. She met Kent on a blind date that was set up by their friends, and they totally hit it off. She loved her kids and students as well as being outdoors, either water skiing or horseback riding. She was a teacher for many years before retiring and becoming a full-time mom, and she was 51 years old when she died. Back at the hospital, Kent and Bart were told that Kevin and Trisha didn't make it, and Kent described that it was an absolute nightmare and that he was very adamant to find out whoever did this to his family. Kent had told police that he had barely seen the shooter, but he did notice that his skin was white. Although the shooter was wearing a ski mask, he said he could see around his eyes. But Bart had confidently told police that the shooter was black earlier, so these accounts didn't add up. Police questioned Bart about the incident, and Bart explained everything that had happened that night, that they were at dinner celebrating his college graduation from Sam Houston State University, and that they had come home to an intruder. The following day, investigators learned from Sam Houston State University that Bart was no longer enrolled as a student. He had attended the college as a freshman, but was put on academic probation. So for years, Bart had told his parents that he was attending college when he wasn't. And he definitely hadn't graduated like he made them believe. Police started to become really suspicious of Bart because they didn't understand why he would lie to them. They told Kent the news, and he was furious. He went to Bart's room in the hospital and asked him why he would lie about that. Bart told him that school was causing him a lot of stress, and he just couldn't handle it, but he didn't want to disappoint his family. But Kent said that Trisha kind of knew that he wasn't in school. She wasn't sure, but she had a feeling for years that he wasn't attending. It doesn't seem like she ever acted on it, though, because she never questioned Bart or called the university. Five days after the shooting, a call came into the police department for Detective Marshall Slot. The man on the other line said he had something to tell him, but that he wanted to meet in person. Detective Slot met him in the parking lot behind the police station that night. His name was Adam Hip, and he introduced himself as an old friend of Bart's. Apparently, a few years earlier, 
Bart had approached him regarding a plan to murder the Whitaker family. He even drew Detective Slot a diagram that he and Bart had come up with where Adam would be waiting in the house for the family to come home and he would shoot them as they came through the door. Adam even told Slot that Bart wanted to get shot in the shoulder to throw off police so he wouldn't appear to be involved. Detective Slot was blown away because this entire story sounded exactly like what happened just days earlier. Now, six days after the murders, the town of Sugarland got together to celebrate the lives of Trisha and Kevin. Over 1,000 people showed up to the memorial, and many of them shared memories. Police questioned Bart again, and he was giving them very vague information regarding the shooting. He couldn't remember most of what happened and kept going back and forth with the facts. The detective told Kent that they believed his son was potentially a suspect in this case. At first, Kent didn't believe them at all. As they explained what they knew, he started to consider it slightly, but he still didn't understand how it would be possible. Bart promised Kent that he had nothing to do with it, and that he loved his mother and brother. After Detective Slot had heard what he heard from Adam Hip, he was convinced that Bart had something to do with it. Since Slot knew Bart had asked friends to help him with the murder plot years before, he thought maybe he did that this time too. So he decided to question Bart's best friends, Chris Brashear and Stephen Champagne. The three worked together at a country club just before the murder occurred, and they were all very close. And actually, Chris and Bart were roommates in their townhouse, and Stephen lived a few doors down. Now, Slot got smart here. He knew it was a long shot to get a confession out of them, so he asked them to provide scent samples. He hoped that giving their scent to bloodhounds would potentially give him his answers. They obliged and Slot took these samples back to the Whitaker house alongside a few canines and there was a match. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you are allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medications that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, just visit Juvederm.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volix XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, 
This improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment, no maintenance required. Improved jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volix XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. We know you guys love a good mystery, especially one with twists and turns. Am I right? This is why you guys are going to love June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker while she tries to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder in the roaring 1920s. In this hidden object mystery game, put your detective skills to the test. While you're on this quest to uncover a scandalous hidden family secret, you can customize your very own luxurious estate island and let your imagination run wild. Daphne and I actually love to play this game together because you can chat with and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. It is truly so much fun. You guys are going to love it. So what do you think? Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Heath and I are major sufferers of seasonal allergies. They are the worst. It can even be difficult to host this show when our noses are all clogged up. We have tried brand after brand, but luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. And big shout out to Claritin for supporting this show and providing us with samples. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. I feel like I sneeze all day long. I always have an itchy face, but now I can actually go outside in the grass and not have a sneeze attack or be stuffed up thanks to Claritin D. Are you ready to live as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so that you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Do you suffer from anxiety, stress, lack of energy, insomnia, pain? You need to try Lumi. They have a variety of products from tinctures to my personal favorite, CBD and aromatherapy pens. They have three different blends, Sleep, Rise and Shine, and Love and Lust, and they all help with different things thanks to the CBD and unique blend of essential oils. CBD and aromatherapy, both combined and individually, help inflammation go down, they reduce chronic pain, improve your mood, help reduce stress, and let you get a good night's sleep. This product is plant-based, all-natural, and contains no THC, so it's completely legal in all 50 states. I puff on my Lumi Pen every morning, and it helps me get through my days with ease. And to be clear, it's all vapor, so inhaling these natural and medicinal qualities isn't harmful to your body at all. 
Get 10% off your order using promo code GOINGWEST on their website, lumicbd.com. That's L-U-M-I-C-B-D.com using promo code GOINGWEST. What's up, gang? Heath here. Are you an armchair detective just like me? Have you ever wanted to know what it's like to solve a murder case? Then you need to try the revolutionary game, Hunt a Killer. It's a monthly subscription box that allows you to sift through documents, maps, audio files, and more while eliminating suspects until you finally catch the killer. It's an awesome game you can play with your family and friends, play it on date night, or crack the case by yourself. Daphne and I love this game, and we know that you will too. Hunt a Killer also donates part of their proceeds to the Cold Case Foundation, which we think is really cool. Right now, you can use promo code GOINGWEST at checkout to receive 20% off your first box. That's promo code GOINGWEST for 20% off your first box. Happy hunting, guys. Detective Slot obtained scent samples from Bart's two best friends, Stephen Champagne and Chris Brashear. He took those samples to the crime scene along with bloodhounds, and there was a match. Chris Brashear's scent was found on the drawers that we discussed earlier, the master bedroom dresser drawers that had been opened. It was also found on the murder weapon, the gun that was left on the living room floor. Police knew that they had their perpetrator and prime suspect. Detective Slot brought Chris Brashear in for questioning and grilled him about the evidence. Chris denied everything. He said he had nothing to do with the crime and that he would never commit murder, despite the fact that the detectives were telling him that they have clear-cut evidence that he was there the night of the murders. Although he was denying everything, his face said otherwise. Apparently, he looked panicked. Months went by and nothing was coming to fruition. They knew that Chris Brashear was involved, and although they had evidence, they needed more. About seven months after the murders, Kent and Bart were healed from their injuries and out of the hospital. One night, Bart told his father that he was going out to a club with his friends and that he would be home the following day. At this point, Kent still didn't believe that his son was involved in the death of Trisha and Kevin. The next day came and Bart didn't come home. Days went by and Kent didn't hear from Bart at all. He couldn't reach him and he had no idea where he would be. So Kent told the police, who quickly became angry at the whole situation because they knew that Bart was involved and they kind of just felt like they let him get away. Detectives continued to question Stephen and Chris over and over again, hoping that one of them would just tell them what really happened. Finally, after months of questioning, Stephen Champagne confessed. He told Detective Slot that he had been the getaway driver and that Chris Brashear had committed the murders. He also mentioned that Bart was the mastermind behind it all. And to top it all off, Stephen Champagne took detectives to the bridge where he and Chris had thrown the evidence. The night of the murders, they went to the bridge over Lake Conroe, which was near all of their homes in Willis, Texas, and threw a chisel, which was used to break into the Whitakers' gun safe, ammunition from the gun, and two cell phones. The cell phones were burner phones that were given to Stephen and Chris while they were plotting the murders. 
Bart didn't want anyone to know who those phones belonged to so they could talk at any time without suspicion from police once the investigation began. Apparently, Bart had told the two that he was going to pay them to carry out this plot, but he never did. Police searched for the bag of evidence and eventually discovered it with all of the items Stephen had mentioned now decomposing. In the bag included a water bottle, and after waiting months for DNA evidence to come back, the DNA profile on the lip of the bottle matched that of Chris Bershear. The bullets in the bag matched those of the gun used in the murder, a single black glove that matched the one that had been left at the crime scene, the chisel that turned up as a match against the marks made at the Whitaker's gun safe, and the two cell phones. Since this bag had been sitting in the lake for over a year and a half, A very high-tech data reconstruction process was done on the phones in a lab in England to discover that the owner of the phones was indeed Bart Whitaker. In September 2005, so almost two years after the murders, Stephen Champagne and Chris Brashear were arrested for the murders of Trisha and Kevin Whitaker. But police knew that they needed to arrest the man behind it all, too, Bart Whitaker but they still couldn't find him after he disappeared a year earlier. Not only was everything pointing to Bart, but the fact that he ran off made him look even guiltier. At this point, Kent pretty much knew that Bart was guilty and he was heartbroken. Unknown to police, Bart fled to Mexico in 2004 and he'd been hiding out there. He was residing in a town called Soralvo, which is only 40 miles or 65 kilometers away from the Texas-Mexican border. And if this didn't make you look guilty, I don't know what would make you look guilty. I kind of just feel like he knew that he was going to get caught, so he was like, screw it, I'm just going to go. Exactly, yeah, and like fleeing to Mexico is a pretty common thing when people commit murder or other crimes, so the fact that he did this was just so typical. Well, just like in uh, our episode from a couple weeks ago on Kenya Monge, Travis fled to Mexico too. Either way, we've seen this before, and this is a very typical thing that, that criminals do when they have no other option or no other way out. And it's just kind of, it's just kind of uh, like Hollywood-esque, like something that you would see in a movie. I mean, it's kind of smart for yourself. Obviously, you're a piece of shit. But I mean, if you committed a crime and you know you're going to go down for it, it's like you may as well leave. Obviously, I'm not advocating for that. I'm just saying it makes sense. Bart had bought an ID off a man named Rudy Rios, and that's how he was able to enter Mexico without police knowing. So he went by that name Rudy Rios while in Seralvo and had $7,000 cash that he had stolen from his family home. Bart ended up getting an apartment in town and became employed at a local furniture store. So he was trying to fully embrace life in Mexico and make it his new home because he was fully aware of the fact that he couldn't return to the United States or else he would be caught. Bart knew a little Spanish so he could communicate with people in town, but they all knew that he was American. They just didn't know that he was lying about his identity. Everyone he knew in Mexico thought he was charming and friendly and had a way with the ladies. He actually attended church there and actually made a lot of friends. While at church, Bart met a guitarist named Cindy Lou Salinas. 
She thought he was absolutely gorgeous, and the two started dating, and that's actually when Bart got the job at the furniture store, because her dad and family owned it, so her dad was the one that got him a job. Her father, Omero Salinas, said that he was a great worker and that he was really well-liked, and he began to love him like his own son. Bart told Cindy Lou that he was an only child and that he didn't have a good relationship with his mom. He also told her that he never loved his mom because she didn't love him. He told her that his family only gave him money and never love. But he also mentioned that his mom was a sex worker. So we know that Bart's mom was not a sex worker, but it seems like a lot of the other parts of the story that he told Cindy Lou were true in a sense. Because he technically was an only child because he had his brother killed and she just didn't know that part. But it's very possible that Bart didn't feel loved by his family. You know, we know that they did give him a lot of money and supplied him with pretty much everything he could ever want. But maybe he felt neglected in other ways. And we've seen this happen in other families where somebody doesn't feel like they're getting the attention that they feel like they deserve or the love that they feel like they deserve. And yeah, it's true. There are a lot of families like parents who think that they can buy their child's love. I think in this case, it's maybe almost seems to me like Bart is trying to put the blame on somebody else other than himself. But back to Bart's life in Mexico, Bart had actually told his new friends that he was a soldier that had gone AWOL because he didn't want to return to war after he'd been shot. And he was kind of using that bullet wound that he had as, oh, I got this from the war. Right. So one night while Bart was at his girlfriend Cindy Lou's house, she got into a huge argument with her mom and smashed her guitar. Bart tried to console her by saying everything was fine and she shouldn't be angry with her parents, but if she wanted to, he could help her kill them. And granted, these people have welcomed Bart into their lives and given him so much love and helped him make Soralvo a home for him, and he was suggesting to murder them. So it kind of goes to show you what kind of person he was, and maybe his real family hadn't neglected him at all, because here he is having the same feelings about this new, loving family. Right, and Cindy Lou was also freaked out by this comment, but she didn't think he really meant it, so she let it go. Shortly after Stephen and Chris were arrested for the murders, the real Rudy Rios called police and told them that Bart Whitaker had bought his ID off him a year prior and that he'd been living in a small village in Mexico. Rudy and Bart knew each other after working together at a restaurant in Houston, and Bart had been the one to contact Rudy telling him that law enforcement was suspecting him of murdering his family because he knew that Rudy had family in Mexico, so he kind of asked him for some help. Bart paid Rudy $3,000 to get him to Soralvo, and it turns out the real Rudy was only in it for the money because that's why he called police to tell them that he knew where Bart was because there was a $10,000 reward for information that would lead police to Bart. While Detective Slot and Bart were driving to the police station, once they get to Houston, he asks Bart flat out, how did you convince your friends to murder your family? And Bart completely confesses. He doesn't even try to hide it anymore because he knows he's been caught. Very casually, he says that he just offered them the money to do it and they agreed. But like we mentioned earlier, 
Bart didn't pay them anything. When Bart saw his dad, he apologized for everything and said he was going to try and make the rest of the process painless for everyone because he had so much guilt. Kent couldn't believe that his own son had actually done this, but surprisingly, Kent forgave Bart. In Kent's eyes, Bart was completely remorseful of what he had done, and that was enough for him. The night of the murders, Stephen Champagne followed the Whitaker family to the restaurant to make sure that everything was going as planned. He stayed in the parking lot while the family enjoyed dinner. Meanwhile, Chris Brashear was hiding in the Whitaker's SUV for a while at their house. Once he knew that they had gotten to the restaurant, he entered the house with a key given to him by Bart and turned off the alarm with a code also given to him by Bart. That's when he staged a burglary. After dinner, Stephen followed their car home. When they drove into the driveway, Stephen kept driving and circled around, waiting about a block away for Chris to come out. After Stephen heard four shots, Chris walked out the back door of the house and then casually went up to Stephen's car before getting into the back seat. Then Chris told Stephen how it all went down, which Stephen explained to police in his confession. Bart says it was his idea for Chris to shoot him in the arm so that it would make it impossible for someone to think that he was guilty. Bart explained later that during his graduation dinner, he was numb. He also said that during the shooting, he didn't feel anything at all. I think it's kind of easier for us to look at the situation and think, your parents who love you just took you out to a nice dinner and gave you a graduation gift when they likely knew that you hadn't even graduated and you still want them dead by the time the night's over. Like, that's what's going through my head. But it's interesting to know that he was just hollowed out at that point psychologically. Like, he didn't have any emotion whatsoever that night. He smiled in photos and acted like everything was good, even though he knew what was going to happen when they got home, which is the most terrifying part of this case to me. And I also think it's interesting that years after the crime, he recognizes that he was an empty shell back then. And it just kind of makes you wonder how someone with a seemingly wonderful and loving upbringing can turn out like this. So Bart explains that the reason for wanting his family dead is because it was their fault that he was alive, and that it was their fault that he had turned out the way he did. He looked at his younger brother Kevin as this incredibly loved and successful young man, but Bart didn't feel that way about himself. He felt depressed and worthless, and at the time, he felt like the only thing that would make everything better would be his family dying. Despite the fact that he claims they had a great relationship and that he cared for them. But to him, they took care of him on a materialistic level, not on an emotional level. Bart says that it wasn't about money, but he would inherit $1.5 million if his family died. Bart wasn't going to school and he didn't have much going on for him as a career. So it would definitely make sense that he did this, at least in part, so that he could live carefree for the rest of his life. I also read that Bart stated the only life insurance policy that would have been in effect was for his dad, and it was for $50,000, but I don't know if that's true or the $1.5 million is true, because I've read a lot more about the $1.5 million and only that one place on the $50,000, but I wanted to mention it. Yeah, I mean, regardless, I think that because I've mentioned before, I think he is a spoiled person. 
I think that money had a lot to do with it because I think that that was kind of the motive. I don't think that it was just like, oh, my life's going to be so much better if my parents are and my parents and my brother are dead. Because at that point, like, why would you kill your brother? I think that it was really more so about um, the life insurance policy and the fact that he was going to inherit this money, regardless of the amount. I mean, think about think about a person that's Bart's age, and he's stuck in a situation where he doesn't have very much money, his parents are paying for everything, he's not graduating from college, so he's not going to get a good job like he thinks he is, and he's kind of desperate at this point. So even if it's $20,000, I still think that he goes through with his plan. I definitely agree, and I think that Bart will say that he hates money, but I think this entire thing was driven by money. Maybe not just the fact that he wanted to get money, but the fact that he was so angry about how money affected his life, even though, like you said, he's a spoiled brat. He, I mean, he had jobs. He worked for sure, but I think he complained about having it so hard when, you know, he grew up in a loving family who gave him everything that he wanted. And there are people out there who have a life nothing like that. So I think he definitely was a little brat and he was just pissed off about money. Also, just from what I can see, it seems like he probably lacks ambition and maybe he feels like a failure and he looks at his brother and starts comparing himself. And that's never healthy. That, and I think that there may have been some expectations from his parents. I mean, I don't really know for sure. I can't speculate too much on that, but I I feel like in these certain situations, there are a lot of parents who have a lot of high standards for their children, and maybe Bart just simply could not live up to those expectations, and so he felt like killing his family was easier than actually stepping up to the plate. Also, we can't forget to mention the fact that he was clearly diagnosed with some sort of psychosis, so I think along with that, everything else that was going on in his life led to a very dangerous combination. At Bart's trial in March 2007, prosecutors pointed to the fact that although Bart wasn't the one to pull the trigger, he was responsible for the murder of his family. He was found guilty of first-degree murder of Kevin and Trisha and sentenced to death by a grand jury. Chris Brashear received a life sentence and Stephen Champagne was given 15 years for being an accomplice. Kent even took the witness stand to plead the jury not to give his son the death penalty because he was the only family member that he had left, but they didn't decide to spare Bart's life. In 2008, Kent went on to write and publish a novel about the murders titled Murder by Family. To this day, he is the biggest advocate for Bart's release. In the book, he describes the devastating incident regarding his life partner Trisha and adoring son Kevin, but also wrote a message to Bart saying, My son, I love you. All is forgiven. Bart sat on death row for almost 11 years, but on February 22nd, 2018, just 45 minutes before his scheduled 6 p.m. execution, Governor Greg Abbott changed Bart's sentence to life imprisonment without parole thanks to Kent Whitaker's constant pleads. To this day, Bart Whitaker remains in prison for plotting the murder of his family. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of Going West. 
Yes, thank you so much, everyone. And next week, we'll have an all-new case for you guys to dive into. If you want to check out photos regarding this case or any other case, check out our Instagram, at Going West Podcast, or our Twitter, at Going West Pod. And don't forget to check us out on Facebook at Going West True Crime. So for everybody out there in the world, don't be a stranger. 